0: Hello, it's Nick, back once again, and yes, it has been ages, and I know you're not angry, you're just disappointed. It's a story of my life, don't worry. All I can say is I've taken up running. Yeah, running. Now, I'm not sure if you know, but I was a quite unexceptional crossfitter for a while, and being knobs by nature, crossfitters hate runners, because it's boring, but... My mate challenged me to do the New York Marathon, so I'm now a runner of sorts. This particular marathon and me have a little bit of history, which you might like. I did it back in 2007 and thought, because I was deep in the rugby season, I'd be sweet and I'd absolutely smash it. Well, it smashed me as I trundled across the line in mm, just under five and a half hours. But I'll deflect away from my kind of mediocrity, doing a few quick shoutouts here. One to Trey Dunman for saying hello. One to Rand Gardner for telling me about finding the looky-lucky of his dad in the bar in Ireland while on holiday there. And one to Jamie Mackerel, who was listening to episode 8 and the loud samples of The Sash. Now, I beseeched him to be careful where he listens to that one. And he retorted by questioning my sense of adventure the cheek of it. I haven't heard from him since. Hope you're okay, mate. But seriously, I appreciate all the messages of support and crack. I mean, keep them coming. On that note, Facebook, Irreverent history, is at 82 likes. And Twitter, at a rev history, has shot into the lead with a following of 121. Now while on the subject of social media and as marching season is fast approaching in Ulster, all the flag putter-uppers are out in force, decorating every lamppost whether you like it or not. Due to this, we're going to do a Twitter series called Flags of Ulster, by which we'll post a spiel about all the lamppost flapping flags we see. Some may be quite controversial, but sure, we're all adults here, aren't we? Or well, we should be, because, you know. Obviously, I like to swear a bit. Now, do you remember those parental advisory stickers and CDs from years ago? I I don't even know if you can still get them, but it must have been a gimmick by the record companies because if I thought a song had swear words, I was way more likely to buy it. And on that note, this podcast you're about to hear relates to some very contemporary issues and being entirely untrained in diplomacy or discretion, I may approach some of them in, yeah, a clumsy and brash manner that may shock or maybe even offend some of you or possibly even most of you. But the paraphrase of notorious Conor McGregor, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Anyway, here's the next episode uh, zero one yeah, 014 Walls have
1: fears To learn of the past, the answers can't be asked. It's researching such a mystery. So I grab this podcast and I'll learn at last of monsters arriver in history.
0: So the title could have been Walls in Peace, Got Them by the Walls, and even the slightly ridiculous Wall Bags. All would have had their place for what they represent, but Walls of Fears, which is kind of like a nod to the World War II slogan, you know, Walls of ears. It's just one, well, just cause. They're, uh, they're all kind of clues as to what this podcast is about. I mean, if you're excited to hear a chat about re in my house, well, I'll have disappoint you, as this is a serious history podcast, and we deliver content that is vastly superior to the deliberations of choosing Magnolia for Magenta, right? No, today we're talking about big walls, really, really big ones. Not like the ones you would sit on while drinking cider as a kid. No, these ones are massive and paid for by governments. Germany had the Berlin Wall, China had the Great Wall, and Gaza has the West Bank Barrier. Well, Northern Ireland has the Peace Walls. So grab a seat, strap in, and let's get cracking.
1: Build that wall, build that wall, build that wall.
0: So quickly back to the running part here. And yes, these stories do merge very soon, so bear with me, right? I recently took part in a Belfast Marathon relay. You know, it's half as a way to kind of test myself, my training, and half as a way for raising money for the children's heartbeat trust that had helped my maintenance family during some really difficult times. Anyway, I was doing the first leg, but it was greedy. I wanted to do more, so I ran the half marathon instead, stopping off near the top of the Andrum Road, which is a killer hill, by the way. It's just all incline. But along the way, I was kind of taken aback by a few things, right? It wasn't my first rodeo though. I previously attempted a second leg and running the route again certainly jogged my old memories. <laughs> now, believe it or not, I was young and naive back then and my prep had not been so scientific. It was pretty much based on getting rightly in the night before and telling myself to be grand. But upon waking up the next morning. <laughs> I knew it was going to be anything but grand. Now, like, after dragging myself out of bed and trying to arrange, like, a kind of last-minute lift, I finally got the bridge end, a starting point for leg two, and was kind of, like, inwardly threatening to be sick, and the vast kind of hordes of the, these, like, elated relay runners, you know, they're all just bouncing up and down. They're all so eager and keen, you know, crazily waiting to do their three-mile trek, you know I mean? It's not muscle, but they think it's, like, some kind of, you know... Marathon really Well within minutes The Africans were scampering by You know collectively weighing about the same as my left leg But still loads of time I'm thinking You know no problem no problem Deep breaths I thought Calm the palpitations But I had forgotten about the guy who was running our first leg Only Iron Mike Sinton He's this kind of wired up web, at those triathlons and all. Within seconds of seeing the back as those Kenyans, you know, fading into the distance, he was right up my grill, I mean, I kind of remember him just sort of shoving me onto the course with what he probably thought were really good words of encouragement, but I couldn't make them out of him swearing. I was off and moving though. Sweat and alcohol were kind of lashing out of every kind of conceivable pore. Fear of collapse and death was not far from my thoughts. But it was so instructive the sight of this kind of bearded guy. You know, he's like on posters atop the lamppost, and it must have been like an uh, election. Who's this guy? Now, my eyesight has never been great. But it only took a few more steps before, like, kind of recognition set in. And it was none other than Jerry. I've never been in the IRA, Adams. Hero to kind of Republicans, but a little less so to many who prefer peace to plastic explosives. Well, there he was. Just looking down at me as I plodded pathetically up the Falls Road, which if you don't know, Ulster, is probably the road that represents republicanism, just as the shankle would kind of represent loyalism. But despite the name, the Falls Road was rising in the direction I was running in. As it reached the top of the horrible little incline, we were greeted by a throng of people. I mean, this was to be expected. People had to cheer on their loved ones or just to watch them in pain. But what I wasn't expecting was like hordes of protesters with cardboard signs stating that they want the immediate release of the Republican POWs. I didn't even know there were Republican POWs. Now they crammed in so close that we were almost running in single file to get through them. There was no violence or anything, like it was just a bit intimidating. And remember, I was wildly hungover and the human tunnel system was making me quite claustrophobic. Never mind being a little bit scared of kind of poking on one of them, maybe even getting a placard to the bake. It was quite a relief to make it out the other side. There's fresh air and the bright lights kind of hit me I couldn't help but notice my surroundings You, yeah, there were trigglers and celtic tops everywhere Maybe like kind of street names in Irish and English Curbs were painted green, white and gold There were long walls kind of decorated with murals Depicting violence and struggle Honouring men and women I, I just didn't know Did I feel a little uncomfortable? Yeah I did a bit but Within a few minutes, passed through this iron gate and the colour scheme changed dramatically to one more familiar to my eyes. Like the Union Jacks fluttering in the air, red, white and blue, bunting all strewn across the streets. And thankfully, no Protestant protesters. and Possibly still sleeping off the bucket from the night before. But I was left a little confused as it reached my hand over point. Did that really just happen? Had I just seen through the looking glass? I mean, was I in Belfast or Beirut? Anyway, I got left back in the town, met a few mates, had a few pints, and despite asking quite a few questions, I went home none the wiser. I fast forward 10 years or so, and this time I was ready. Not just sober, feeling much fitter, but also ready for what they expected at the top of Falls Road. But it was different, it was really different. There were no protesters, I didn't feel intimidated, and many of the murals seemed to be more trying to tell a story, the republican version of their history, with maybe a little less emphasis on violence and more on the struggle to survive. Some parts of the wall even ended at longing for peace, albeit under the banner of a united Ireland. As I was running, I was struggling to take it all in, so I promised myself I'd Google Street Map the shit out of it when I got home. What I did like, though, was the street names. Many were written in both Irish and English, and trying to figure out how to pronounce the strange names helped me forget the pain in my legs. Well, temporarily, anyway. Now, may my orange blood forgive me, but I actually learned some Irish, so check me out. And now I know that Bohair is Road and Askell's Avenue. Hardly fluent, but it's a start, isn't it? Wow. Then we cross through the big gate again, Lanark Way it's called, and the transformation was just as I remembered. Like once you cross through it, it's like Dumbledore's like waved his wand and changed the colours of the Great Hall from Slytherin to Gryffindor. All that glitters was no longer green, white and gold, but red, white and blue.
1: Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall.
0: But just what is a peace wall then? It's a wall that encourages peace by being really inclusive and brings together all the communities Kind of like the Berlin Wall or the Gaza Wall, or like what Trump's trying to do in Mexico. All good natured stuff, isn't it? Well, not really. Now, the first wall was put up in Belfast in 1969 due to a serious and kind of sustained outbreak of sectarian violence in the city. So, while America was still feeling the liquid effects of the Summer of Love, the British Army were building the wall in a kind of attempt to keep the kind of raucous rabbles under wraps. Did it work? Possibly. It's hard to say if the walls were just or escalated feelings of security or fear, but what we do know for sure is that around maybe a hundred or more of these walls or barriers would be built, and the vast majority still stand to this day, mainly in north or west Belfast, but strewn throughout the streets like a kind of a patchwork of sectarianism. They can mostly be found in less affluent areas. Curbstones daubed in the partisan paint, you know, and with the gentrification witnessed in other parts of the city yet to take hold. There's no shops selling cornflakes for £4 a bowl, or bearded hipsters serving pulled pork in a trial, and drinks just aren't serving jam jars. No, there's the privacy gets these areas, needing really massive investment to get them moving forward. Talking about investment, in 2007, a report claimed that segregation cost Northern Ireland citizens 1.5 billion every year. That's 1,500 million a year. A year? Now, that's not all police overtime, but seriously, what the. the do we really dislike each other that much? We have to spend 1.5 billion keeping
1: apart from each other? Build that wall! Build that wall! Build that wall!
0: Now, let's step back here slightly to a time of hope and to something that is known as the Good Friday Agreement. Well, now, that's what it's called in English. It's going to and casta in Irish. Huh? And not to forget the Ulster Scots, whereby it is known as Good Friday Greens. I love that one best, as it's really easy to pronounce and also gives me a bit of a giggle. Anyway, the agreement was... Uh, it was what the people of Northern Ireland voted on in 1998. It was sent out to everyone's houses, you know, a big brochure. And some may have actually read it rather than just flicking through the pages and looking at the next pictures. But to be honest... I was still a little too young to vote. Honestly, I was. And I, I'm more into the RP McMurphy philosophy that I should be out in a convertible a dog dogging checks and and paper. But my parents read it, and they voted as they saw fit. As it 81% of the population with a whopping 71% in favour. But the crazy thing is, almost 20% didn't vote at all. I mean, just couldn't but bother ticking a docket and possibly the biggest referendum in Northern Ireland's history. Bloody stoners. But what did it mean? Well, a few things really. Ireland removed its long-held territorial claim over Northern Ireland, or the North of Ireland for those who refuse to recognise the Putrid Little Statelet, as it's been called. Funnily enough, by some who refuse to acknowledge or recognise it. In return there would be an agreement that if 50% plus one of the Northern Irish people wanted a united Ireland, then it would be so. It also provided a local executive, and assembly, devolved power to Stormont, where the people of Northern Ireland would be able to make local decisions that affected local people. Though, as you may or may not know, that recently collapsed and we have had no effective government for about a year and a half. Now, after the agreement passed, all the local politicians who worked tirelessly to get the job done got the photos taken and that's what counts, isn't it? You know, amongst others, you have Bertie Ahern, the Irish who may or may not have been caught up in a big financial scandal and ushered out of office. Bill Clinton, the guy who did not have sexual relations with that woman. um, Tony Blair... Who, after presiding over peace in Northern Ireland, then presided over the bombing of the Middle East. Uh, Jerry Adams, head of Sinn Fein, who may or may not have presided over the bombings of Northern Ireland. And John Hume, uh, of the moderate nationalist SDLP and David Trimble of the moderate unionist UUP. Nice photos, of course, of celebration, of triumph, of how two divided warring clans could come together to make a positive bilateral change, securing the future for the kids, etc, etc, etc. Add your hand of history on our shoulders, sound bites here. There was also a lot of backslapping, holding the loft of the national flags, platitudes for everyone. Well done, Northern Ireland. That's how you do. Peace. Boom. Done. Close the book. Except there's a little epilogue to the tale of joy. Within a decade, the political landscape had shifted massively, and not necessarily for the better. Communities were polarizing, and moderates were they were replaced by more extreme parties, most notably the Unionist Bible leaning DUP, under the control of First Presbyterian Firebrand, the Reverend Ian Paisley, and the Irish Republican Party, Sinn Fein, under IRA commander Martin McGuinness. Now despite their obvious and kind of like overt hatred for each other, there was an hot bromance kind of brood between them, as if they almost liked each other. Oh, imagine that. There are actually numerous photos and clips of them sharing jokes and shaping a pint. Two kind of blood enemies, just having the banter. Both are now dead, like ironically by natural causes, and with them seem to die the peace process. Brought into kind of sharp focus by Brexit, which I'm not going to go into because this is only a short podcast, and I don't really know enough about it. Just like 99.9% of the people that were somehow asked to vote in the matter. Since the Good Friday Agreement was signed and sealed, there have been more than 30 additional peace walls constructed in the streets of Northern Ireland. Get that 30 extra? One was even put up in a school? Yeah, a bloody school, as a people were using the school grounds to cross near a Catholic neighbourhood and cause trouble. The ultimate irony being that the school is integrated, so it has both Catholic and Protestant kids and it's trying to break down barriers, but actually, I actually had to put one up. There's a video I'll link to on ReverendHistory.com slash 014. It's about the headmistress's thoughts and how they read the book, The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, at the Wall, just for extra poignancy. Even though if you've read that book, I'm not really sure the heroine ending needs extra poignancy, but I I appreciate her sentiment. So in the words of Olivia Newton-John, let's get physical. I'm likely to talk about what makes it peaceful. I mean, just what is it? I hope to have a video ready for when this goes out to show you exactly what it is, but my GoPro skills are kind of in their infancy, so if it turns out to be a shite, it won't be posted. But in general terms, the peace walls are just bricks and mortar uh, and barbed wire. Lots and lots of barbed wire. Now when I think of barbed wire, I firstly think of like Pum Anderson, obviously, but then I think of trenches or prison camps. And that image is probably not that far removed from reality. In the end, the walls would stretch for 34 kilometres, or just over 21 miles, with the longest wall being about 5k all by itself, which is one Saturday morning park run, if you want a running analogy, because I'm all there running at the moment, you see. They're mostly in Belfast, but they can also be found in Derry ported and in Lurgan. But what do they look like? Well, a few are just like two metres high. The normal kind of fence that you would see around a secure perimeter, made of like kind of thick iron railings, but many are taller with extensions added on throughout the years. Wire on top of metal on top of brick. To give you some kind of idea, uh, let's take the Burnham Wall. It went up in the early 60s to divide the communists and the capitalists and was three times longer than the combined length of the Peace Wall's Noster. But it stood at a piddling 3.6 metres high. Or that's kind of the height of a man on circus stilts. Now it did have some guard towers. That would maybe boost the height up to about 7 metres. But to me that's like the world's tallest buildings. Sticking on this big massive spire and going oh look how tall we are. You know. No chance. Not buying it. Now the West Bank Barrier. The one that Israel built to protect slash trap the Palestinians. Runs for hundreds of miles and tops off at about 8 metres high. Or that's kind of like a man on stilts standing on the burning wall wearing say like a large top hat. Again. Pathetic. We in Ulster know how to build something big, most notably the Titanic. Well, uh, in Cooper Way, the Peace Wall reaches uh, a whopping 14 metres, or a man on stilts standing on a man on stilts standing on the West Bank Barrier. Now, it was originally built smaller, but it had to be extended twice, presumably as the kids who were throwing bottles and stones over the walls got bigger and stronger, With a kind of wayward nod to Milo's calf. But this brings us on as to why the walls are here. Or maybe the better question is, why are they still here? We talked about the Good Friday Agreement and the prospect of peace, yet it hasn't really panned out that way. The photos have beamed out across the world, probably days or weeks later, due to dialogue, you know? Dear God, do you remember dialogue? Like... Well, those photos made many throughout the world kind of believe that we were all fixed, you know, all good, communities mixing together like salt and vinegar in a pasty supper. Well, alas, no, that's not quite how it worked. In January 2008, a survey of just over 1,000 residents in the kind of interface areas, or, or those kind of close to the walls, showed that there was a strong agreement that the walls served to help residents feel safer by keeping the community separated. Now, kind of conversely to this, 81% felt that they would be in favour of the walls coming down, but of that number 60% said... Just not, nah mate. Those kind of remind me of trolls, you know the of bridges and old fairy tales that my granny used to read, in, in that they maintain the kind of illusion of a defensive perimeter. But they're much more like modern day trolls, those are the kind of internet variety. I think they serve a much more sinister purpose, one of isolation and protectionism, keeping things in and out, allowing certain areas to be controlled by certain groups, trafficking certain items. And Maybe that's not in the best interest of modern Belfast. Also, recent events probably haven't helped as kind of tensions have risen over Brexit and Irish Language Act, lack of local assembly, all the bullshit that becomes day to day in a place like Ulster. But is it all bad? I mean, do the walls have a detrimental effect on the lives of those that live beside them? Well, it probably just becomes normal. Like waking up to murder on the news when I was a kid. It was so regular, I think, that many of my generation were numb by it, accustomed to it, conditioned to accept that that's just how life was. For the people who live by the walls, I think that's similar. Many of the houses have they've reinforced foundations, fire-resistant roofing, a bulletproof glass in their windows. Do they feel that life minus the walls would expose them to kind of what's on the other side? The evil's without, so to speak. In one interview I watched, the resident said, I just don't know what's over there, and quite frankly, I don't want to. Hmm, okay. Well, I mean, that's kind of sad, isn't it? But an all-too-human instinct, fear of the unknown. And this is a problem of walls. To some they mean security, defence, protection, and for others, it's fear and oppression. But in this thorny issue, I'd like to defer to some of the hardest bastards in history, the Spartans. Their home city, of Sparta, had no defensive walls. Why? Because they wanted to fight any invader face-to-face. They kind of goaded people to come for them. One such guy was Philip of Macedon, dad to Alexander the Great. He conquered pretty much all of Greece, and was thinking the Spartans would crumble too, so he sent a messenger to ask if he should come to Sparta as friend or foe, and they replied with one word, Neither. A tad put out by the cheek of these scoundrels, he responded with unreserved aggression. You are advised to submit without further delay, for if I bring my army into your lands, I will destroy your farms, slay your people, and raise your city. The Spartans again retorted with their customary concession, using one word. If. I kind of confronted by that sheer not giving a shittery, Philip lost his balls and never attempted to invade Sparta. Okay, that's kind of a real but he's really like the story. Back to Belfast.
1: Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall.
0: We have walls. Lots of walls. And what do people do with walls? Well, some try to destroy them, some tend to mend them, but others... Well, they draw pretty little pictures on them to spruce them up. And that's the fate of many in Belfast, especially the ones that divide the shangle and the falls. That includes a huge one in Cooper Way and the International Wall, much of which lies at the Falls Road. Now, that's lies as in resides, not lies as in tells mistress. Though, to some it probably is both. There's one of a guy called Leonard Peltier who's like a Native American freedom fighter slash terrorist. He's speaking the words, and the world did gaze in deep amaze. And that's from a song called "Foggy Dew," which I think is about the Irishman who fought for Britain in World War One, rather than staying home and fighting for Irish independence. Another line from the song is, "Twas far better to die neath an Irish sky than at Silva or Sudolbar." Which, if you've listened to some of our earlier podcasts in the war, you may remember that around two hundred thousand Irishmen fought in World War One alone, but they didn't fit the nation's narrative, so were written out of history. There's the flags of the four provinces of Ireland, all settled under the Irish trickler and in front of what I think is the Irish Parliament building, or the Dáil, as it's known in Irelandish. There's also a lot of references to socialism, which to be honest I find a bit ropey these days, as there's not really many true socialists left in the world are there? Not even one Len McCluskey, head of the Unite Union, known to some as the Champagne Socialist. And you may have seen his supposed paycheck that was doing the rounds on the internet. And the loan he may or may not have received from the union to buy a house. If those rumors are true, then it seems that I'm gonna get into socialism because it pays a hell of a lot more than I was led to believe. It would kinda of remind you of those pigs in Orwell's Animal Farm. But getting back to the murals, there's also depictions of the hunger strikers, these are rising, messages about smash and storming, and it's that Stormont moment seems a little self-defeating to me, is one of the ideas to sell a United Ireland or a New Ireland to Unionists is that they would still have a say in the running of the province of Ulster, still have representation within Stormont as a devolved local assembly, but then it's not even running at the moment, and it doesn't look like the two lovely ladies of influence are going to get it back up anytime soon, are they? Buried amongst the rest, there's also some positive messages about ending sectarianism, about living in peace and dignity, but these are in the minority, squidged between references to armed struggle and insurgency. The spectre of revolution is clear. As is the connection to Palestine, and this is something that we will return to later. If you keep heading down to Thumbling Street, you cross into another interface and into the Shankill area, where you see a mural with three big red hands saying we are proud, defiant, welcoming. I'm not sure what look they were going for, but the impression I get is that they're leaning more towards defiant than welcoming. But maybe that's just me. One other mural of note is an odd Israel and the Jewish Legion that fought in the First World War under Irishman Lieutenant Colonel John Henry Patterson. It was recently burned and defaced with the words Nazi scum. Yeah, Nazi scum on a Jewish mural. It's either an irony that goes above my head or our school system is in real trouble. Now, if we go back up the falls through the side streets and cut across Lanark Way, which is the interface we mentioned earlier, and move on to Cooper Way, there you can see probably the most famous wall of them all. At first you'd be forgiven for thinking that the Protestant elements of society seem to have taken higher ground and decided to rise above the hate, as the, as the Cupert wall is more full of messages of peace and sorrow and maybe hope, but this is maybe because it was funded by the Arts Council as an intentionally sought to tackle sectarianism, and it even seeks participation from groups throughout the whole of Ulster, including the three counties that form part of the Republic of Ireland. And it was on a recent visit to Belfast that only the bloody Dalai Lama himself said, open your arms to change, but don't let go of your values. And this has been immortalized on the walls. To me, that message reads as hold your culture dear, but don't be a cock about it. Which is dead on, I suppose. There's also something big and red in the walls, but this one is a face. Part of an if walls could talk project and contains many symbols of what Belfast means to people. You can see anchors, footballs, cogs, bicycles, ships. But probably the crassest and most offensive thing to be on any wall in Belfast. You can see at least two red devils, which are the emblem of Man United. Ugh, oh, horrible stuff. Once you've recovered from that, there's a huge piece of artwork by Rita Duffy, a Catholic no less, who was chosen by the Shankle Women's Association, a Protestant group no less, and it celebrates women's suffrage and how that movement kind of helped change the lives of chicks in Belfast. Now to risk a sounding misogynist and also a bit stupid, I didn't recognise any of them. But then I discovered that it uh, is actually a representation rather than an actual depiction of the women. So it seems like I'm just a bit stupid. Well, which I'm okay with. Now another mural, and one that I particularly like, is a childish stick drawn with lettering that covers four panels and says smash the wall of separation. Further on down there are references to the psalm by which 760 men from the shangle went to war for their country. And less than a tenth returned. Less than a tenth. That's yeah, sobering statistics of death during World War One. You may also be struck by just how much bubble writing there is. I'm all for free expression, but I just think that sort of graffiti sucks ass. But it oddly serves a purpose, which I'll get to in a second, as yes, it's time to return to Palestine. Remember we talked about the Republican support for Palestine, and therefore the loyalist support for Israel, because obviously they're different, aren't they? have to pick a side. Well, as we mentioned before, it, it leads to a lot of Palestinian flags and start David flags flapping in the breeze and being represented in the walls and the like. Well, it's all a little strange. It seems the Republicans will identify with any revolutionary, no matter what they have done to innocence, just as the loyalists seem to identify with Israel and the like, no matter what they do either. I'm sure you've heard all the news reports of dead Palestinian kids and medics and women and how Israel are the aggressors and then you hear conflicting reports that Israel were attacked first by rocket launchers and that the Hamas soldiers have been practically being strapping kids themselves to prevent the Israelis from attacking. Well, the truth is probably somewhere in there. Still, the support from each side is steadfastly maintained. I'd like to ask any of the houses flying flags Israel or Palestine just a few basic questions. Just see if they know anything. Give them a quiz on the history of the conflict in the Middle East and just see how well they do. But, annoyingly, they'd probably actually do well at the moment because over this last few weeks, Palestinian support has been growing due to the reported Israeli atrocities. Their flag has since been flown up and been banned from being flown at GAA games, which is like football, and a recording of one Tyrone supporter being wheeled out of a match against Meath for waving a Palestinian flag has gone kind of viral on social media. You can hear some of the Tyrone fans giving off as the Irish police or the guards cuffed them, but others didn't really seem to care, just wanted to watch the match, which they won by the way, I'm on their red hands. Twitter though, oh, bloody Twitter, it blew up, certainly with way more voices than were actually attending the game and many seeming to hail from Tyrone which is the county in Ulster and saying how the GAA has always been a rebel sport and how the government body should be promoting the support of an oppressed nation. Other voices, mainly from Meath a county in the south were basically telling their Tyrone boys to feck up and that politics is no place in the sport it's actually a really interesting dichotomy. And I kind of reflected the opinions of the guy drying his crotch using the hand dryer, if you remember my story from a few podcasts back. And he was saying how the Irish hate Nordies, or those from the North, no matter what religion they are. And I kind of made for curious reading that many from the South disagree with the opinions of the Northerners. And it got me thinking just how ironic it would be if a border poll was called with the North saying yes to United Ireland. But the South said, uh, nah, you're all right. But to get back to the point I was trying to make, is that if you side with all the freedom fighters slash terrorists, no matter who they are or what they did, then there are going to be a few that taint the ideology that you're trying to portray. Take, for example, Loyalists getting called Huns. As with the Germans in the Second World War, maybe better known as the Nazis, who quite publicly hated the Jews, yet there's an Israeli flag flying proudly from Loyalist houses. Do you see how that doesn't really make sense? Then you have the Republican-Palestinian supporters who call Hamas their brothers, as they're seen as persecuted people, yet they're renowned for putting members of the LGBT community to death by throwing them off roofs and torturing them and all that. So it's seemingly quite difficult being gay in Gaza, which is a bit more of a juxtaposition to Sinn Fein's reputation of equality, and actually seems more like a policy that someone at the U.P. would try to implement. Plus, Ireland may have had shady links with the Nazis for a while, which almost makes them more like Huns. And Nazis hated everyone who wasn't Aryan race, including many of the guys on the Republican Wall, such as Bob Marley and Nelson Mandela. So it's all a bit murky and confused. But you wouldn't expect any different, would you?
1: Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall.
0: So a few years back, 2013, when the assembly was headed by First Minister Peter Robinson at the UP, before his wife nearly collapsed the assembly with an affair, and uh, Deputy First Minister Marty McGuinness of Sinn Féin, before he actually did collapse the assembly, well the two politicians, they vowed to remove all the peace walls within a decade. Now, both these men are no longer in positions of power, but unlike the assembly, the walls have not collapsed, and nor does it look like the remaining 100 or so will be removed within the next five years. But there are positives to be taken from these walls. I don't want it to seem like we're totally negative here. Well, in the vibe of Ripley's Believe It or Not, some of the Peace Walls have actually come down. And the first full wall to fall was in Crumlin Road, which was a real flashpoint area during the Troubles. Here, the wall was replaced by railings and some really nice shrubbery. And in true Belfast vernacular, a local resident said that after 30 years of looking at a wall, her new view was just class. For those communities not yet ready for knocking down the walls, there's there's like a less extreme option of adding gateways. And this happened in Alexandra Park. Previously at night it had been like a den for locals, who were kind of polarised by religious hatred and causing all sorts of trouble. So a wall was put up to cut the park in two. A few years ago, and with the vast majority of residents in agreement, a gate was installed. And opened between the hours of 9am and 3pm. The dog walkers loved it as they could explore parts of the park previously unreachable. Kids rejoiced as the balls that were kicked over the fence could now be retrieved, rather than burst on sight and the groundskeeper, to be fair to him, made a slightly easier route when cutting the grass. And guess what? The world didn't cave in either. And a little bonus was that a grant was given by the commission and it was used to create a play park for kids. And the kids all play together without prejudice because they don't give a shit about beliefs. They just want to have fun, get muddy and climb up the slidey part of the slide. There's a few other walls that have added gateways, etc. But the main positive for me is to do with, like I said earlier, the bubble riding. Bet you thought I'd forgotten about that, didn't you? Well, I hadn't. So there. But if you drive up and down Cooper Way, you'll see lots and lots of people examining the walls and woe to each other. These curious looking wall inspectors were probably driven there by bus or by black taxi. And that's just one of the many stops on the tourist trail of Northern Ireland, which is absolutely popping right now cruise ships are showing record numbers of visitors, geeks costumed up as Dothraki warriors, wildlings and white walkers can be seen swarming all over the games of thrones locations and people are realising that Belfast and Ulster as a whole is a fucking beautiful place. Loads to see and do. Belfast itself is a world away from the city I knew growing up. The place is vibrant and lively and has lost much of its sinister kind of edge. I mean the nightlife is buzzing, especially the cathedral Quarter. It's really good street art and has a crack and bar in every corner. Tourism and the Troubles have largely given away to tourism of the Troubles. Many former prisoners released early due to the terms of the Good Friday Agreement are now tour guides, retelling their stories of why and when. It's like an interesting gear change, and it usually includes a trip explaining their community street art and certainly that in the Peace Walls. Many work in tandem with a guide from the other side, which maybe hints at reconciliation if you pay us, I suppose. Now, when the tourists are dropped off at the bubble writing on the Cooper Way, they add their names to those already on the walls, especially within the bubbles. It's like the cool thing to do in Belfast. You visit the Titanic building, you climb Cave Hill, you see Belfast Castle. Oh, and be sure to find a space in the peace Wall to etch a message, telling the locals how peace is inevitable, and then autograph it. It's incredible. Not just the cheesy messages kind of advising the locals to give peace a chance and all that we need is love, but the sheer amount of signatures. There must be hundreds of thousands all over it, with some really famous people like the old pant dropper himself, Bill Clinton, and the aforementioned Dalai Lama. But mostly it's just normos, you know, randomers, just people meaning well and doing what the Lonely Planet tells them to do. It's like a giant version of a hotel guest book, living proof that people want to visit but it also makes it seem a little like a zoo, as they come and have a look and pity the poor animals before jetting back off the whence they came to tell their relatives about the time they braved the mean streets of Belfast. But I suppose that's just tourism, isn't it? It reminds me a little of being a kid and being forced to watch the news before neighbours come on. You'd hear about places like Ethiopia, Lebanon, Yugoslavia tearing themselves apart, and you'd feel really sorry for them, just thinking... Like, why can't they sort it out? Why do they need to kill each other over food or religion? I mean, neighbours killing neighbours is so sad, so stupid, blissfully unaware that we were just as bad in many levels. It's really hit home when I was doing some prep for this podcast and was skimming through some of the reviews in the Peace Walls and TripAdvisor. And there's loads of comments written by people from Bosnia and Beirut saying how beautiful the place is and how sorry they feel for us that we kill each other. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute here? Cheeky bastards, how's the pitier become the pitied? Quite the awkward feeling that builds inside when you realise how the rest of the world sees your country, and it adds to that messages from Australians, Asians, Africans, all countries that have also experienced British colonialism, whether for better or worse, is a debate for another day by the way, but people from these places are coming to us and saying how, oh, how they really feel sorry for us, and they can really smell the history, the gravitas of the situation, how they empathise with our civil war. It sounds like a kind of promo for a movie from a far-flung galaxy, but it's not. It's us, it's the Belfast Massive, embarrassing the shit out of ourselves on the global scale with their petty nonsense?
1: Build that wall! Build that wall! Build that wall!
0: So what about the fates of other walls we mentioned? And can we learn anything from them? Well, going back to my childhood again, because I know you all love that, I remember when the fall of the Burnham Wall was announced. It went up 10 years before the Peace Walls in Belfast and came down the 9th of November 1989. That's almost 30 years ago. It was all over the news and people were hitting the wall with chisels and pickaxes, enormous slabs of it falling off, loads of people were shaking hands and cheering, a really huge moment, massive, though as a nine-year-old I just remember thinking, why the hell is the guy from the Night Rider prancing along that wall? But what of it now? Well, East Germany is poor, still, despite massive investment. They had to compete with the more affluent and efficient West, and many of the East's best and brightest being seduced by the wealth and prosperity from across the country. Ulster is similar, except it is the west that has been neglected regarding investment. Is this deliberate? Maybe. But it's the same down south as well, with travel links etc. Deprecating the further west you go, with Donegal, the most northernly Irish county, conversely the least economically viable, despite everyone's grandparents apparently owning a holiday home up there. But the real takeaway is that Germany is trying to work as one nation and not trying to kill each other. Then there's the Great Wall of China, long since defunct as a defensive military structure. It's now basically just a big tourist attraction with a booming industry of guided tours, memorabilia hotels and restaurants actually built onto and into the walls. This may work better in China though as I'm not sure too many people would like to indulge in a three-course gourmet meal while perusing the idyllic surroundings of Cooper Way and the Falls Road, especially as you may feel a little odd tucking into your steak if your seat faces the mural of the hunger striker Bobby Sands. Then what about the Gaza Barrier? Well, I'm not going to say too much about it, but to me the only good thing is the awesome graffiti by Banksy. I mean, why can't he come over and do something here in Belfast? Bristol to Belfast is only 30 quid by EasyJet. He could be in and out in a day, maybe give the Protestant side of Northumberland Street a bit of a helping hand with their lacklustre paintworks. But then it's time for the big question. What should be done with our walls? So deep. Should we keep them up forever? Or should we go full Jericho and get them tumbling down tomorrow? Really, it's a no to both. General consensus is that we need a general consensus from the individual communities that each wall affects. And I doubt that's going to happen everywhere too soon. Anywhere too soon, to be fair. But it does need to happen. As we see in Berlin and Gaza, no civilized society can realistically live by blocking themselves in and others out. To paraphrase Doc Brown, Walls, where we're going but don't need walls. Don't to doing a weird accent. Now, just to clarify, that is Doc Brown from the movie trilogy Back to the Future, not the Doc Brown who was a rampant predatory pedo from my old school, because he definitely does need walls, preferably with no doors. It took us some time, but we at Reverend History have come up with some radical ideas, and not just for the walls themselves, but for what they represent within Northern Ireland, the metaphor of preserving differences and keeping some people out and others in. Radical idea one have a far-reaching Irish language act, really, really promoted province-wide as it's deeply ingrained within our culture and our words and place names, and give the Ulster Scots a bit of scope for development too, as it's ours as well. However, before the loyalists go rage with rage and the gildoggers get all frothy at the mouth with excitement, there's a big caveat, and it leads to radical idea number two. We should detach all the Catholic schools from the control of the church, as it seems logical that religion and education should be separate, but people should not be, so integrate all the schools. Yes, I know there would be issues with curriculum and all that, but we believe Irish should be mandatory as part of a shared culture. Again, we would even throw in some Oscar Scots for the crack, but I'd say it's history that could be the most controversial, and that's exactly why it needs done. Too many people are trying to push their skewed agenda only. We need to share all the points of view of history and why it happened. Could that lead to a better future? Who knows, but if we want to break the circle of mistrust and sectarianism, we need to aim big. And talking about big, it's radical idea number three. The walls in Cooper Way should come down. When the residents are ready, of course, but not the whole wall, keep the graffiti. Keep it, develop it, remember it. Remember what it was like as we looked at a brighter future. I mean, literally, as there's more light, because... Either the walls are lower, It's be more like awful. Maybe even sell if the rubble is memorabilia on eBay. I mean, people buy anything, like make some dosh and invest it in the communities, plus try and catch more money from Europe before they ever exit. Or if they're to make Northern Ireland the state that is a tax free foot in both the European Union and the UK markets, then we'll all be balding like damn Blazerian. So it won't really matter. The a FTSE 500 will flock to us even more than the tourists have. It's probably all pie in the sky, a lasting peace. Nay, friendship between the two main communities and a Northern Irish super money statement. But we can dream, can't we?
1: Build that wall! Build that wall! Build that wall!
0: They were approaching the finish line here. So, I need to tell you a little bit more about my running. <laughs> i finished, thanks. Yeah, it's so slick. Now, it's all because my mate challenged me to do a marathon for a cancer charity. Him and his family have been heavily affected by the disease and thus we're running for Action Cancer NI, which is a charity based in Northern Ireland and helps thousands with education and prevention. But unlike cancer, the charity does not discriminate. It helps anybody it can. If you would like to help as well, I have a Just Given page, which if you Google Just Given, then click the link and search for Nick Hatton on their homepage, you'll see me looking a bit worse for wear. Anything helps it all, by the way, whether it's 1p, £one $1 or $1 million, it all goes to help with cancer prevention in Northern Ireland. I also put the link on Twitter and Facebook, so you can't really get away from me. Anyway, enough of the shameless begging there, right? This week we will end with a poem by Robert Frost called Mending Walls, and I think, yeah, yeah, I heard a shriek from your old mate Joe. She's got three degrees, don't you know? That's a wee poem my own there. What do you think about that? Now, frost poems about two neighbours who get together during the spring to mend the wall that divides their properties. One wants the wall, and one doesn't really see the point. Now, I could bore you by talking about it all and being a gimp by just kind of like regurgitating what others have said, but I won't. I'll just draw your attention to two small parts of it, where he writes. Before I build a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give a fence. This is kind of like a guy's questioning the wall, wondering why, if there's no real need for it, why do they continue to build it? And he asks to consider the reason for why they keep doing it. But he says of the other guy, He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well. He says again, good fences make good neighbours a neighbour continues to mend it, spring after spring, like a stone-headed savage. He builds it purely because his father told him, that's the way to go. Now I'm not going to bang on about why these exact passages are included. I'll just say that it's something we all need to ponder on, especially in Ulster. But finally, finally, when I was looking through the comments in TripAdvisor, one really stood out. There were loads about up the ra and fuck the Pope, really original stuff. Loads more about peace and love and sharing and embracing all the differences and all that hippie shit. But of all the comments, the one I thought was the best said... Too many walls, not enough bridges. I really like that. And it's very important to remember all the people who lost their
1: lives in search of the You know know. the (laughs) song?